So, Sharon, what did you think of episodes two and three of What If? Smooth. What? It was good. Okay. I've really been enjoying What If. Uh, it has been... Well, so it's hard for me to talk about without talking about episodes four and five. But, yeah. You can go um, ahead. I'm, I'm not crazy. Like, I'm not like a crazy spoiler person. Yeah. I'm fine. Also, I feel like with what if like having spoilers is not right like if you know the name of the episode it's kind of spoiled for you right yeah uh, like that's what's gonna happen um it has been a little bit darker than i originally thought the tv show was gonna be um i know yeah. that the comics that they're pulling from get dark but yeah i wasn't really sure that the tv show was gonna go there but i've enjoyed it i think it's been really good uh, the third episode was probably the one that stuck with me the least. Yeah, that's what if all the Avengers died. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like I could tell you kind of like stuff that happened, but it just didn't stick with me in the way that the others did. I don't know. Yeah. But. It was, it was kind of a boring reveal, too. Yeah. Me. I was like, oh, it's Hank Pym. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I called it from like the first death. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Because they they said something about like, there's something like inside it or something. I don't know. There was some line that tipped it off to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's Ant-Man. It's a very tiny Ant-Man that's going around it's killing very, people. very tiny Ant-Man. <laughs> Assassinating people. I don't, I wasn't sure why, but. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Made sense. Uh, it's been good to hear Chadwick Boseman again. Yeah. But also sad. Yeah. Knowing that we're seeing his last performance as T'Challa. Last two, right? Or wait, no, three. Three. Yeah, I just meant on the TV show in general. Oh, like I know. That I, this is his last oh, okay. yeah. Was he in episodes four and five? He's in episode five, and then he's going to be in episode be nine? Okay. The last one? I don't know. It's the, whatever the team-up episode is, where they have all of them. Yeah. I don't know. The Multiverse Avengers. Mm. Yeah, his episode was pretty fun. Like yeah. to see the different one. It was, it varied wildly in tone. I thought. Sure. Like it was kind of like slapstick and weird. And then not, I, I think they were going really hard for the guardians vibe. Yeah. But I think that's true in episode five too. That like, it also to me had some like weird tonal notes where it was like sometimes very serious. And then sometimes, Five was zombies, right? Yeah, yeah. really jokey, and yeah. I wasn't sure exactly like. So I read that what tone they were going for with it. I had read that they wanted to go really dark, like the producers, and then Disney basically said, "No, mm. you can't do that," and so they threw in like Happy and Scott for jokes, and like tried to make it kind of mm. slapstick. Yeah, but that, like, that makes sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure that we were producers. No, pep it up a bit. Pep it up, right? I mean, there's a part, so I'm going to spoil a joke. It's just a joke. But there's a part where Happy's being dragged away by zombies. And he's like, blast. he has Tony's like repulsor in his wrist. Right. And he's, he's like, blam, 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 blam. Like saying blam as he's blasting them. And then like he disappears into the darkness and you hear one more blam. And then he comes back as a zombie. But like there's, it's just, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't work. Yeah. And then like another character has their leg eaten off. And there's like a joke about it. Like the next scene that's just and you're like mm. it's real dark too soon yeah. 
But overall, I'm enjoying it. I like that it basically proves that Peter Quill is the worst. Um, <laughs> and that everyone's lives would be exponentially better if he didn't go to space. <laughs> Everybody. It seems like just about uh, any... I mean, like, obviously, like, T'Challa is, like, like a rock star, but... I feel like if anybody else had gone to space, the universe would have been better off. So. Maybe, but then you do have that note of like, and then ego comes for him and maybe the world just ends. They're going to do that though. Like that's another episode. Uh, Interesting. At least from, did you guys watch the mid season trailer that came out today? I did not. It was, it's mostly clips from the first couple episodes, but there's like a, what do you call it? Like a montage where they just do like really fast flashes. Cuts. Mm-hmm. Cuts. Thank you. That's the word. Uh, and there's one of Ego like eating Peter in the Dairy Queen where they left him or where they met at the end of that episode. You said in the Dairy Queen. I thought you said and the Dairy Queen. And the Dairy Queen. He's eating Dairy Queen. Kurt Russell loves Dairy Queen. But I don't know. So I think they're going to do something with that. I'm kind of thinking that that might be the threat that the Universal Avengers fight. It's either that or Ultron, oh. Vision Ultron, one of the two. Hmm. That makes sense. Because we still haven't got to Vision Ultron yet. Or maybe it's Shoma Goroth because he's been in two episodes now. So. Or maybe those things will tie in in season two. Yeah, that's true. Right. Did you like the Dark Strange episode, Sheridan? Because you've seen it. Yeah, I did. It's my favorite one, I think. Yeah, it was really good. And it really is. sad. Yeah, and it doesn't let up. There's no humor. It's just... No, it definitely like decided on a tone and stuck with it. And that tone was, everything is terrible. Mm -hmm. Bleak. And it's 2021, so all right. That makes sense. So that tracks. Right, yeah. I was like, yeah, everything is terrible. That makes sense. I, I really liked it. I think it's the best one so far. Yeah, I think that episode was more emotionally impactful than the Doctor Strange movie, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> and made you he ca- was much more sympathetic. Yeah, you cared about all the, <laughs> like, both versions of him and um, whatever her name is. I lost her name. What is her name? Is it the doctor? His doctor friend? Yeah, or else? Amy. Right. No, no, Ra- Amy Adams. What's her actual <laughs> name? Rachel, Rachel McAdams, McAdams yeah. is the actress. Rachel McAdams. Christine? Christine? That sounds right. <laughs> gonna be embarrassed if that's wrong but i now i'm second guessing myself i I genuinely don't know know. so you're in good company of not knowing here let's let's imdb it we'll delete the the dead space i think it's christine that sounds that feels right christine palmer yeah yeah (laughs) there were some things that like it raised some questions about like fixed points in time Yes. And I was like, that does that work with the other like time travel stuff they've set up? I think it might, just because the time stone works differently than like quantum time travel. Also, if they're talking about fixed points in time, they're taking inspiration from Doctor Who, in which none of it actually matters. It pretends like there are rules, but there aren't rules. There aren't rules. That's why it's called timey wimey. Timey wimey wibbly wobbly. I mean, I feel like in comics there are also rules but not really rules yeah <laughs> soft rules right sanderson would call it soft magic okay so i don't know i liked i think that's the best episode yeah and he has a much cooler cape 
No? That's a disagree face. No, it wasn't. I was just trying to picture. It's a different... I guess it didn't stand out to me that oh, it's very. Pl- it's a different so cape what's... or just it looks different? It's a different cape. Yeah. It's a different cloak altogether. Interesting. Strange. Mm-hmm. You guys want to get started? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Welcome to Amateurs Assemble, a comic book book club podcast for you. Whether you're new to comics, a regular at your friendly local comic shop, or just looking to talk about your favorite heroes, I'm Josh. I'm Seth. I'm Sheridan. And we've assembled to work through some issues together. Last time we covered issues number one through seven of Truth, Red, White, and Black by Robert Morales. This week we're diving into Jason Aaron's Thor run with issues number one through five. Each week, we'll begin by providing a little background that you might need to know or that will at least enhance your reading. So, Seth, tell us, what the hell is Mjolnir? Yeah. So, Mjolnir is Thor's magical hammer that he carries throughout uh, the movies, the comics, all sorts of things. Uh, Mjolnir has its roots far before its Marvel Comics debut in June of 1962. A journey into mystery number 83 that was uh the historic mjolnir appears in several places in both the poetic edda and the prose edda compilations of norse myth- norse mythology that were uh, collected in the 13th century the hammer mjolnir it was the most prominent of thor's three special possessions hammer iron gloves and a belt uh, i just wanted to briefly go through one of the one of the stories where Mjolnir features prominently. So I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm going to try it anyways. It's the Prim's Veda, uh, Prim's story. And this is the story of Mjolnir being stolen and Thor trying to get it back. So Thor, the hammer disappears. He doesn't know where it is. He's furious. He goes to Loki because, of course, you always go to Loki first. Right. Yeah. Okay, so Thor goes to Loki. <clears throat> Loki, surprisingly, did not take the hammer this time and doesn't know where it is, but he travels to Jotunheim on Thor's behalf looking for it, and he encounters uh, Prim, Prim, Prim? I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Prim. Prim? Sure. But he's basically a giant that has stolen the hammer and buried it deep in the earth, and he says that he'll only give it back if Freya, another god, a Norse god, agrees to be his wife. So Loki goes back and tells Thor. Thor and Loki go together to see Freya, and they're like, yeah, can you can you do this for us? And she is <laughs> pissed, like so pissed. Like I think in the description I was reading of it, she yells so loud that like everything starts shaking. Like it's like an earthquake. So no, she's not helping them out on this. So with that option gone, Loki and a few other gods, uh, primarily Heimdall, convince Thor to try option number two, which is dressing Thor up as Freya yep. 
for the yes. wedding in order to get the hammer back. Uh, Thor reluctantly agrees. And from here, it's pretty funny how they go to the wedding and Loki is like trying to keep the ruse going as long as possible. And Thor is just being Thor and like eating and drinking a ton. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is like very like impressed like, by this oh my guy. Goodness. <laughs> and they don't even shave his beard. They no, just like, no, they make a point to tell you like, he doesn't look like a woman. It's just <laughs> Thor in a dress and the giants don't know better. And like, yeah. Oh yeah. And so it's, it's very ridiculous and like increasingly ridiculous. And as it goes, but eventually they're able to convince um, Prim to bring out Mjolnir as uh, a wedding gift for his bride. <laughs> and he gives it and Thor uses it to great effect on the groom and the wedding guests. Yeah. So a uh, quick side note, but if you want that full story and many others from Norse mythology told very well, uh, I would highly recommend Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman and specifically the audiobook. Uh, Neil reads it himself and it's, really delightful it's really good so um okay so let's shift now to the comics version of mjolnir like all things that marvel pulled from mythology it's really more of an inspiration that they added a bunch of elements on top of so actually if you're familiar with the marvel version at all whether from the mcu or the comics you may have already thought about one of these additions during that uh mythological story how would Thor's hammer have been stolen unless the thief was worthy to hold it? And isn't a worthy thief kind of an oxymoron? I mean, maybe that's a deep philosophical question for maybe another time, <laughs> but that's because the worthiness enchantment is a Marvel edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a defining and iconic part of the, the comics lore. And the enchantment is whosoever holds this hammer if they be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. But it's just simply not a part of the underlying mythology, which I think would surprise a fair number of people. Yeah. So um, there are some hints that strength is a limiting factor in the mythology and that, you know, Thor has to have his iron gloves to be able to wield it. But, you know, that's very different from worthiness. Yeah. Okay. So worthiness as probably the most like iconic feature of the um, the Marvel version of the hammer. We could really do a whole deep dive just on that and the history of who's been worthy to wield it in the Marvel universe. So instead of, instead of going too deep into that, we're just going to hit some of the highlights of people that have been found worthy. Um, Steve Rogers, of course, Jane Foster, Yep. Who of we are, course. of course, which we're planning to get to at some point, pretty soon, I think. Um, Wonder Woman and Superman, both in different comic crossover events with DC, uh, and wanted to give a shout out to the first non-Norse character to wield Mjolnir, which is Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, I honestly don't know a whole lot about Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill rules. Yeah, I mean, I was willing here to give you like however long to do your beta ray bill spiel if you want. okay so beta ray bill um this is all the, off the top of my dome so yeah put you me. on the spot here pardon me if i get some things wrong beta ray bill is the protector of a race of refugees they are on the run um from some galactic force i want to say galactus but that's probably wrong he definitely has dealings with galactus okay i think it's galactus um but they're on his people are on the run um 
he and Thor get into a fight in mm-hmm. some sort of gladiator, gladiator, gladiatorial situation. I don't remember the details. Um, and basically, Beta Ray wins, and as a result, um, Odin is like, "Well, no son of mine's gonna lose." Um, and so he punishes Thor by literally splitting Yalner's power in half, oh. um, and he creates Storm- Stormbreaker. Breaker, yeah. Yep, Stormbreaker, which is the MCU version of like the secondary hammer or whatever that he gets in. Right. Uh, it's, so in the MCU, it's an axe. I think it yeah. is in the comics too. Yeah, it's like a. It's like a hammer on one side, and it's got like an X on the other side. Right. It's gold, and it's about the size of Mjolnir, but like, it's right. just it's kind of stumpier looking. Um, but yeah, um, Beta Ray Bill, essentially, like in the fight, takes Mjolnir from Thor and just whips him with it. Um, nice. And when he does, he gets the iconic like Thor outfit, but he looks like a horseman wearing Thor's outfit. Um, and then from yeah. then on, he has his own like his own version of it, mm-hmm. basically equally powerful. Um, like yeah. So Beta Ray is just a really cool on again, off again, in and out, like Thor ally, um, who is worthy and also just like just a really cool character. Um, yeah, he's a really great Marvel original creation, mm-hmm. and like a really good use of that worthiness uh, enchantment that they made up. <laughs> he's also briefly featured in Thor Ragnarok um, on uh, Sket, not Skadriel, that's Mistborn. Um, Scar, oh. what's it? Sakar. Sakar, yeah. Sakar, when they're flying to the... Um, is like, it him or is there like a statue of him maybe? So there's a statue of him, Hercules. Ares for sure. Ares, uh, yeah, Ares and Hulk sure. and someone else. I don't remember. But Beta Ray Bill is one of, the, one of them. So Nice. Sorry. Cool. But yeah, that's our, our quick five minutes on uh, Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> that's your deep dive within your deep dive. Deep dive. There you go. Um. <clears throat> So let's see. The other major enchantment on Mjolnir is that it will always return to the hand of its wielder. So, I mean, that comes up all the time in the comics Constantly. and in the, yep. in the films. Um, it's also really cool where he can, he'll just like reach his hand out and he's like, mm-hmm. come on. That's great. A lot of good moments. And that's how Thor flies by spinning the hammer really fast, throwing it and then just holding on. Mm-hmm. It's always been my favorite way to fly. Yeah. So. It's pretty great. Um, so Mjolnir has quite a few powers and honestly in the comics is a bit of a MacGuffin. They just like, yeah, use it to do whatever mm-hmm. they need to be do. It can do anything. It can be whatever, a nightlight. Whatever it needs to be to do. Say, it, can, it can be a lamp, yeah. which it is in this run. Mm-hmm. Multiple oh, times. He does use it yeah. as a lamp. Several times. I forgot about that. It's just in the library with Mjolnir. We'll just mm-hmm. read in the books. We'll just give a quick rundown of some of the powers and abilities shown on Wikipedia page. So <laughs> it's capable of creating vortices, antimatter particles, force fields, uh, mist- emits mystical blasts of energy. Uh, it can do a God blast that taps into Thor's own life force. What? Uh, it can drain life force from other people. Okay. Can remove the force field of juggernaut. What? Which is neat. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty bonkers. Uh, I did not know that. Juggernaut's yeah. like Omega level mutant, so that's pretty. It's pretty crazy. He's not a god, though. He's not a god. That's true. So, and then it says there are several other rarely used abilities, like tracking a person, locating mystical items, what? or detecting illusions, because it needed all of those things. Right. So, so Mjolnir is just the uh, Swiss Army knife of Marvel. Yeah, powerful Marvel magical items. items. Um, also, similar to 
Captain America's shield. It's not actually indestructible and has, in fact, been destroyed many times. Right. Um, yeah. But it's always pretty much always been rebuilt, remade, mm-hmm. um, and used again. So that is our deep dive. I love it. Thor is probably my favorite Marvel character. Like, all versions of Thor and, like, just everything around Thor. I don't know. Yeah, he's really up there for me, too. Mm-hmm. I've never really read that much of it, but I'm excited to dive in on this one. Okay, so, issue number one, A World Without Gods. Hey, Mal. Our story opens in 893 AD on Earth, the west coast of Iceland. For weeks, villagers have lived in fear of a frost giant that has terrorized their lands, killing animals and children alike. We see the disembodied head of said frost giant on a spike outside a great hall where a feast is taking place. A young Thor Odinson narrates for us here, having spilled the giant's blood with his own axe. He is now celebrating with the people of the village. We see Rekorus celebration and Thor surrounded by cheering men and adoring women. I love my life, the young god is quoted as saying. There's a cry in the night, and the young god of thunder jumps to his feet, excited at the prospect of battling yet another frost giant. An old woman points the way towards the beach and informs our hero that red chunks have been washing ashore for hours. We get a close-up and see a bloody disembodied hand among the gore. The villagers speculate on what could have happened to this poor person, wondering if he has fallen off a ship and been fed on by animals. They find the person's head, and we see that this is a Native American warrior of some kind. Looking into the eyes of the fallen warrior, Thor addresses the people. He was a god, he tells us. The villagers look on in shock and silence for a moment before asking, what could have killed a god? He looks as if he's been butchered, one of them says. Ever the braggart, Thor reassures them that whatever it was, he could guarantee that its skull is no match for Thor's Asgardian steel. Boy, Thor calls out to a nearby youth, fetch some wood enough to build a funeral pyre. His respect for this fallen fellow deity evident. The same village elder who pointed out the body at the beginning asks Thor if he's seen anything like this in all his years. And I'm going to go ahead and quote it directly here because I think trying to, fair, trying to paraphrase it would not do justice to Thor's reply. I've seen war in the heavens. I've seen gods suffer and bleed. I've seen immortal fathers subject their own sons to torments you could never imagine. I've seen hell itself, but no, I've never seen anything like the horror in this god's eyes. Terrified by the words of the god of thunder... The old woman drops to her knees and begins to pray. When asked what gods she is praying to specifically, the elder replies, all of them. So we jump to the present day in deep space on a planet called Indigar. We hear the prayers of a child that has never prayed before. She prays directly to Thor himself, telling the reader that he is the god that all people throughout the spaceways say is the greatest of them all. The child informs us that their planet is dying, having not had rain in many years and that soon the people will soon die too. No sooner than she has finished her prayers than we see the iconic Krakathoom scrawled across the page, followed by Baroom as Mjolnir itself strikes the planet. Narration jumps from the child to Thor. I hear the prayer from a universal way. Across the cosmos, I bring with me the storm, which is just a rad line, by the way. So (laughs) rain begins to fall, and we see the people rejoice. Uh, The present-day god of thunder carves out a river and revitalizes the land. Uh, He swears to them, as a warrior of Asgard and avenger of Earth, 
that he would not let anyone die this day. And I think it's kind of important that he equates those things as equal, like as a warrior of Asgard and as an adventure of Earth. So that's just a... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So initially, Thor tries to be like kind of gracious and leave, um, but never want to turn down the offer of ale and a good time. He stays to celebrate with the people. So as the party wanes, Thor speaks to one of the planet elders. They inform him that this planet has no gods, and we see shock on the Thunder God's face for the first time since the issue has begun. So never in all of his travels has he seen a planet with no gods. He swears menacingly that he will find these wayward gods and see that they come home. He takes to the skies and finds a citadel floating above the planet. Wandering the dark, abandoned halls filled with treasure and weapons, the god of thunder has a growing sense of unease as no gods are to be found in this place. Noticing a large door that has been sealed with enormous black chains, he breaks them with a deft strike of the hammer, and we get a stunningly drawn full-page spread of Indigar's giant-sized gods hanging from hooks in the ceiling, like swine at a butcher shop. Deeper in he goes, learning that these gods were not just murdered, they were tortured. Their suffering relished in by their killer. With hammer glowing, he stops in front of a god whose face has been frozen forever in terror. He recognizes that same look from the Native American gods centuries before. With no time to ponder on this, he is attacked by a pitch-black monster, a guard dog, as he calls it. It's wielding a sword and attacking him out of the darkness. He narrates his thoughts throughout the battle with the creature and swears that he will, he will find the one who did this and murdered these gods and the one from centuries before. If Gord the God Butcher yet lives, it can only mean one thing. More gods are sure to die. Dropping Gore's name here for the first time tells us that Thor has, one, never forgotten the fallen god that washed up on the shore of Iceland all those years ago, and that he has had some kind of interaction with the Butcher prior to the present day. The tail end of our story jumps to a time unspecified other than that it's, it's taking place many millennia from now in the Great Halls of Asgard. So an interesting side note before I continue, um, each version of Thor in this run, past, present, and what we're about to see, future, have distinctive narration boxes. Uh, The youngest of the three has just a plain white box, present day version having a box with red trim outline around it, and the future version having like a gray circle filigree box, which was just kind of a cool way to orient you to wherever you're reading. Yeah, I I like that quite a bit. It's just really neat. I love when you can convey stuff like that with typeface or font mm-hmm. or some some kind of like design yeah you know we talked about that some in the mm-hmm. captain america run where you had like sharon carter and she had mm-hmm. two different internal monologues yep. that two were narration boxes coded differently and it it's cool because i mean even like you said each one though speaks to the character itself young thor is very basic and plain because he's still learning mm-hmm. and he's still yeah. raw modern thor is i think it's literally the same one that he is for all of his right. um, comic runs but then the old one is more regal and just kind of it's grayed out and sad which is good i love it so anyway future thor sits on a throne tired and beaten down long white beard and sporting an eye patch as well as missing an arm he resembles his father now more than ever mjolnir sits on the floor beside him its edges distinctly more rounded and chipped than previously shown indicating the tremendous amount of time that has passed between the present and now He laments the quiet of these halls that were once filled with the joy and laughter of celebrating warriors, filled with the sounds of his people. We now learn that he is captive in his own castle, creatures outside keeping him prisoner. Roused to anger, he calls out for someone to bring me my arm, 
only to realize that there is no one left to bring it to him. Steadfast, he seeks out his arm himself and vows to, as the last of the gods, try yet again to see Valhalla. We see now his captors as he begins to fight. They are the same pitch black creatures that we have just left present day Thor battling in the skies above Indigar. Only this time, instead of one monster, there is an army. And this is how it ends, with blood and thunder, with hammer and sword, with one last stand at the gates of heaven. The old god cries out for the death to the enemies of Asgard and jumps into the fray, determined to face his death like a god. Hot damn, I love this series. It's so good. Issue two opens in the great weapons hall of Asgard, where a young Thor tries and fails to lift Mjolnir. He's wrestled dragons with his bare hands, slain wolves, and fought more battles than a god twice his age, but he still isn't worthy yet. In 893 AD on the Baltic Sea, Thor stands at the bow of a long ship as the fog thickens around them. The Norsemen are getting nervous. Thor tries to reassure them and brag a little at the same time because he is Thor after all. But they cry out that they've seen a figure in the mist walking on the water, and the face isn't that of a man. Thor mocks them for being frightened of mermaids, which is funny because mermaids are actually really terrifying. They're real scary. Um, And then threatens them with his axe if they don't start rowing again. As the longship moves onward, we see a figure rise in the mist behind it. I smell god flesh. The figure says, lead away, little godling, lead me to your kin. Then the figure rises into the air and silently follows the longship. Three days later, Thor and his men land on the banks of the Neva River. The men are anxious to plunder the nearby villages, but Thor isn't interested in fighting Slavs with spears. He wants to fight their gods. (laughs) Just then, the god Perrin's winged horse appears, and the Slavs rejoice momentarily before realizing it is bloody and riderless. Thor senses that something is up, and he leaves the mortals to fight it out amongst themselves as he climbs onto the horse's back and takes to the skies. Another winged horse flies by him with a decapitated corpse still on its back. As Thor describes the nagging feeling in the back of his skull like a sense of being hunted, we see the figure stalking him. This is Gore, the god butcher. He is pale and sinewy, clad pretty much only in a hooded cloak. And inky lines run down his arm to form a sword, which he uses to cut off the head of Thor's horse. As Thor falls, he cries out, Feel that, little lord of heaven, that sense of helplessness as you fall. That is how it feels to be mortal. Next, you will learn how it feels to be butchered. Thor manages to fall onto the other horse, though, (laughs) flinging its headless rider off and charging the butcher. As they fight, Thor looks into his eyes and finds himself reminded of another set of cold black eyes, those of the mad god Dagger. Dagger was captured when Thor was just a child and thrown into a pit in Asgard. It was then Thor learned the difference between war and relishing in slaughter. He had toddled down to the pit late one night to see the mad god, but he slipped and fell in. Dagar didn't attack him. He simply talked to him. 
coldly and passionately about his love for killing lots of people, even babies. Thor was down there with him for over five hours before he was rescued. The next day, Odin executed Dagar. He was dismissed as mad, but Thor says that after their talk, he knew what Dagar really was, something far more frightening. And uh, this is how Thor winds up with childhood PTSD, we can assume. Yeah, Odin's not exactly the uh, best father to help with trauma. No, he is uh, not winning any dad points. Now the pale-hooded butcher mocks Thor, asking what he is the god of. Drunkenness? Vanity? War? Poetry? Thor's eyes slip closed as he quietly says, Thunder. Then lightning cracks across the sky, flinging them apart and sending Thor crashing to the ground. In the present day, Thor stands among the dead gods of Indigar and vows to avenge them before flying off to the halls of all-knowing. The final panel shows young Thor bloodied on the ground with his axe beside him. We pick up issue three with present-day Thor visiting Omnipotent City, nexus of all the gods, built 12 billion years ago after the first great war of the gods. Thor visits the halls of the all-knowing here and is greeted by the old librarian who remembers Thor from his visits as a boy, mostly Thor being a pain in the ass. (laughs) Literally, like, he talks about Thor hitting him (laughs) over and over. Uh, So the librarian is probably, like, my favorite small side character oh, he's here. great he's so droll fantastic. and sarcastic the whole time and so and, unimpressed by thor <laughs> yes and i'm i'm honestly here for all of it it's so good um thor says he seeks knowledge of the missing gods and the librarian takes him to the hall of the lost thor is stunned by the size of it but the librarian points out that the gods come and go although thor is convinced that they've been murdered the librarian notes here that that's a different hall, the Hall of Murder, with a whole wing devoted to Thor's family. <laughs> sassy. So sassy. Uh, Thor wants to speak with the Parliament of the Pantheons, but is told that there is a 200-year wait for an audience. <laughs> and side note, but this that right there is like another really good example of just the scale of this series. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's probably the thing that I love most about it. You talked about it with like the scale of the the dead gods when he first found him. And it's just, it's just like overwhelming and great. I, I love it. So yeah, everything's big. Everything takes forever. Everything's yeah. stretched out. It's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. So in the large hall of the lost, Thor feels overwhelmed and doesn't know where to begin. But so he just picks a place and starts, starts trying to find the records of the missing gods and visiting their home worlds. He begins with the Oaken King and the Sequoia Queen of the Garden Eternal and finds them nailed to a tree with one of Gore's hidden hidden guard dogs here as well. The issue passes here over a few pages with a series of splash pages really showcasing the art and the scale of that as Thor crisscrosses the universe looking for gods but always finding Gore's handiwork and guard dogs. Uh page nine here or at least it's page nine on the digital version not not sure what the actual page is yeah and also i feel like this would have been a two-page spread but i don't know i'm sure 
but it's um it's a really incredible spread of the fallen god Faligar the behemoth patron god of the galactic frontier um i saw him barely a hundred years ago we passed one another in the spaceways and waved thor thinks again the, the scope is just so huge and interesting is that the giant mountain creature mountain creature thing yeah that i have a play mat of you have yeah. a play mat of yeah, yeah. A magic i was gonna mat. bring that up but i wasn't sure how to fit it in exactly right I'll, yeah. I'll say it <laughs> i have a play mat of that yeah it's really <laughs> awesome and really cool it's my favorite play mat it's great um so again here thor has to fight off one of the guard dogs but this time he's taking it personally after killing the dog and like really going at it and like holds his head up like he's Hamlet or something. Yeah. yeah. Skull up. That's great. That's great. And he <laughs> screams his throat raw, challenging the God Butcher to come and face him. But it's of no use. Thor's so dramatic. He is. But I mean, it was totally called for here. 100%. Um, all right. We flash now to young Thor, who we left at the end of issue two bleeding in the snow and we find that he is he was recovered by his norseman and has been unconscious for seven days recovering the wounded young thor immediately heads off to find the god butcher and on his way finds a dying god who directs him to a cave just follow the screams he says we go back again to the present where Thor has recruited Iron Man to go with him to the cave where young Thor faced off against the God butcher. Um, this ties me to it here where you mentioned, I think it was an issue one that he equated like being an Avenger with being a God. Mm-hmm. And that comes back here yeah. where he, he basically calls Tony Stark a God. He's like, you're as much of a God as anyone I've ever met, yeah. which was interesting. Um, Tony probably agrees. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Tony's like, well, thank you, but yes. Thor has a long history of basically equating Tony and Steve as being, like, godlike. Like, he Interesting. Does in multiple, multiple runs of different series. Interesting. But I thought that was a, an interesting tie there. And he, like, he very much does value being an Avenger on that level. Um, Thor here... Uh, after seeing the cave, he asks Iron Man to go and warn all the other gods that he can find. We then get several intercut panels with young Thor and present day Thor both entering the cave. It was really helpful here that young Thor was not mm-hmm. yet worthy of Mjolnir, so he just has a, I think he has an axe. He has a axe. very large axe. A very large axe. Uh, the same axe he wields later on in Original Sin, by the way. Interesting. So he didn't throw it away. He keeps that axe. He just squirrels it away somewhere. Mm -hmm. The narration here, and I need to go back and look because I wasn't sure which one it was narrating. I'm going to assume present day Thor. Anyways, I don't know. Because it's the panels are intercut, but the narration is like. Is it the narration in the cave? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's present day Thor. I'm pretty sure it's present day Thor. Because he's exploring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's also talking about he will never forget this cave, which would not make any sense for young Thor to talk about. So the narration goes through what it's like to have the memory of an an immortal and how they live too long to hold on to every or even most of their experiences. Mm -hmm. But Thor will never forget this cave. Uh, At the end of the page, present day Thor attacks someone or something we can't quite see yet. Then on the next page, uh, fully devoted to young Thor, 
he openly challenges the god butcher to fight Mm -hmm. from the mouth of the cave. Gore chides him for coming alone, although he expected it because gods are nothing if not extremely uh, overconfident. Yeah. Hubristic. I was trying to think of a good word there. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And young Thor here is pretty quickly overwhelmed and ensnared. We then flash to old Thor, as I call him. Those are mine. Young Thor, old Thor, present Thor. That's fine. That works. It's accurate. So so we see that old Thor is defiant despite being overrun by the dog-like creatures. Thor will never fall is what I assume he would have said, but he doesn't get a chance to finish it when he's stabbed. Although the art is a little dark here and I wasn't entirely sure where he was stabbed. I don't know. We just see a sword kind of in the darkness, but we basically see that he's being overrun. Mm -hmm. Back again to present day Thor. He attacks the inhabitant of the cave, but it's not gore. It's another God driven mad by gore and hiding here from him in what he says is the last place gore would look. This mad God claims that what gore is doing now is all Thor's fault because of what happened to them in the cave. We end with panels of both young and old Thor overwhelmed by the God butcher. I really like that art too, where it's kind of like, because it's that Gore uses that black tar space goo. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah. Like, and in, in both cases, they're kind of like encased in it almost. Yeah. They're drowning in it. It's yeah. like they're sinking down into this darkness. It's so cool. I, I well, I'm going to say it in a minute anyway. Okay. So I'm going to say it right now, actually, once again, I am blown away by the beauty of Asad Ribic's art uh, in this issue and really just the entire run. This yeah, is that's really lovely. It spoiled yeah. me. Like this is one of the, I don't know. When I read this originally, I was like, this is so good. And it's made me want um, Asad to do like everything from, from here on out. It's just, ah, oh, it's so good. Okay. So uh, this art, it depicts the first glimpse that we saw of old King Thor from issue number one, tired and bloody on his throne in the empty halls of Asgard. Anyway, enough about the art. Okay, issue number four. The Last God of Asgard opens post-battle, right where issue number one and a couple of small glimpses like the one Seth described um, from issue number three, where they leave off. So old Thor is held aloft by Gore's monster army, having been defeated. The old king revels in the fact that he finally will be reunited with his family in hell after all these years. H-E-L, by the way, the Norse hell. A wide shot shows how truly broken the city of Asgard is, with structures and towers destroyed and literally floating away. The old king sees the destroyed city as a fitting tomb, a testament to his failure as the protector of this world. Asgard deserved better. I'm sorry. Asgard deserved better. It deserved a better king, he tells us. Going on to lament that he's lived for far too long living to the end of all things, having seen everything and everyone he's ever cared for die. Relief washes over him as he realizes that it's finally over. However, the relief is short-lived. When he comes to his senses, he realizes that the creatures have not killed him. In fact, they have simply placed him back on his throne in his prison cell of a throne room. Come back and kill me! He cries in anguish and anger as he realizes that these creatures are never going to let him die. Back to present day on Earth, Thor speaks to another god, who Seth had just described, 
who has been hiding in the cave. Shadrach, god of wine and waterfalls, claims to be a rarity in that, like Thor, he too has come face to face with Gore and lived to tell about it. He explains how the god killer had left him alive and forced him to watch as his army of black berserkers, which is what the dog things are called now from here on out, slaughtered his pantheon. The butcher had cut off Shadrach's eyelids in order to force him to watch as day after day he murdered the people that Shadrach cared about. The series is dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, going a little mad, obviously, Shadrach begins to see the art of what the god killer does, stating that he knows how beautiful gods are now, as he has seen what they look like on the inside. Yes. Yeah, gross. Gore kept Shadrach alive and apparently confided in him the location of the cave where he had once battled the god of thunder, a place that Gore swore he would never return to out of fear. This seems like the best place. Sorry. This seemed like the best place for Shadrach to hide from the butcher. Thor wants to know where the god butcher is going next, and all Shadrach can tell him is that the other gods had screamed out about a deity called Cronux as they were tortured. Thor vows to not let any harm befall his new friend, and they set off to find the butcher. The two gods make their way back to Omnipotent City. And Thor calls out for the librarian, only to discover the old man has been beaten and left lying broken by the Black Berserkers, who now burn down the library. We jump to 893 AD again. Gore wakes a young version of Thor from unconsciousness as he hangs upside down by Black Chains, created out of that same goo, I assume, Yeah. Um, based on some of the stuff they do later. Yeah, so, and I'm pretty sure it's... The, like, the Black Berserkers are all, like... I guess part of him yeah, or made out of that. They're yeah. definitely and like an aspect of it. Yeah. And so he can also like leave it. He basically like left it mm-hmm. everywhere. He killed gods. Yep. Right. So Anyways. it's a pretty cool power. Now is the time for suffering and talk. The butcher tells the young God Gore demands that Thor tell him all that he knows of the gods of Asgard so that he might find them, kill them and make Thor watch as he does. So, Obviously, the young god does not relent any information to Gore, and the torture begins. <laughs> Bragging that he once tortured a god of torture, Gore begins his work. To his credit, Thor never backs down and issues only threats and curses to his tormentor. Gore explains how he plans to take his time with the god of thunder. He hopes that he will provide suitable entertainment. <sighs> we jump back to... We jump back to the library where present-day Thor battles the Black Berserkers alongside a reluctant Shadrach, who basically only fights because he doesn't want to see Gore again. They are joined in the fight by the librarian wielding a really big book. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah. Undaunted by battle, Thor begins questioning the librarian while they fight. The librarian informs him that Cronux isn't a god, you idiot, but a planet. We jump to the future. Old King Thor uses his one good arm to drag himself down the steps of Asgard. We see a bunch of black berserkers trying to lift Mjolnir in vain as the king summons the weapon to his hand once more, uh, knocking over several of them in the process. We get a brief scene of what's happening at that moment in each of the three timelines. Old King Thor going into battle with the black berserkers one more time. Present day Thor reading a burning scroll for the location of the planet he seeks. And young Thor being tortured in a cave at the hands of the butcher. We cut back to the library and see Thor learning the location of Kronox and leaping away. 
leaving the librarian to question Shadrach, who now claims to be the god of songs and somersaults. Hmm. I fly to Kronox, the palace of infinity, Thor tells us as he takes to the sky. On Kronox, now, we see the Black Berserkers slaughtering yet another pantheon of gods and using their blood to fill up a very large pool. Gore threatens the last god of the planet and tells him he knows the secrets that gods scream while they die, so going back in time holds no mysteries for him. We learn from the last god of Kronox that the now blood-filled pool is called the Pool of Forevers and only requires a few drops of divine blood to function. The gods of this planet use the pool to access the timeways and herd collective events as well as pruning the wild fields of tomorrows, giving off some real Loki TVA vibes here from this guy. In my travels, I have learned that there are two kinds of gods, the butcher tells us, those who do harm and those who do nothing at all. I have yet to decide which I find more worthy of my wrath, but soon enough it will no longer matter as all gods will have one very important trait in common. They will all be dead. He steps into the pool. We jump to old King Thor being impaled through the chest and screaming out in pain, dropping his hammer as he collapses to the ground. He cries out to the god butcher and the black army surrounding him that they have won and that he wants them to end it. I'm too old, too tired. I can't fight anymore. I can't. His words are cut off by a flash of blinding white light that forces the berserkers to shield their eyes. A stunning full-page spread shows who has arrived. Present-day Thor, covered in blood and wielding Mjolnir, asks a question to the onlookers. Where is the Butcher of Gods? I got chills. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> Where it's like, oh, no, you thought this was just a framing device with like the three different time yeah. period Thors. Yeah. And then nope. it's like, nope, time travel. Nope. <laughs> Timey-wimey. In the Palace of Infinity, Gore wades deeper into the pool of blood. He recalls the gods of his youth, the gods he was once taught to honor through fear. And yet, he wondered where those gods were when they needed them. They were where they always are, all throughout the universe, he says. They were nowhere to be found. Having disappeared beneath the blood, Gore now arrives 14 billion years in the past in the void of a primordial universe. He recalls the mythology of his childhood, that the universe was born from the tears of the first god when he beheld the emptiness around him and his heart was filled with loneliness. The tears became oceans, then ice, then worlds, and the first god looked upon his work and smiled. But what Gore finds instead of a lonesome weeping god is the inbred offspring of the elder gods. Gore is not deterred, however. He is determined to bring about his dream of a godless age. Back in the Palace of Infinity, Gore rises from the blood pool, this time with the warm heart of an elder god clutched in his hand. All he needs now is a moon or two, a few centuries, some space, and many slaves, he tells the last god of Kronix. But even as he speaks, a rumbling begins, and then with a crack of lightning, Thor arrives. Back in the cave, young Thor still hangs in Gore's chains. He's been hanging there for 17 days, being tortured, and now Gorgon offers him a way out. All Thor has to do is show him the way to Asgard, and he'll end it. We'll begin with something easy, 
Gore offers. If Thor will give him the name of someone he hates, a sibling, perhaps, or even a parent, Gore swears Mm. to kill them first. Before Thor can give in to Gore's tempting offer, a pack of Norsemen storm the cave. They know that they might not stand a chance, but still they raise their weapons. This night we feast in Valhalla, they cry. This night we die for Thor. Gore tries to dissuade the men who've come to rescue Thor and convince them that no god is worthy of their loyalty and sacrifice, but still they fight. In the present, Thor hammers at Gore's berserkers, and we learn that the berserkers are not merely empty husks, but are actually a part of Gore. They appear to have minds of their own to some degree, but it isn't really clear even to Gore, whether they act of their own accord or whether they follow his unconscious desires as well as his commands. As he tells Thor, perhaps I wanted you here to witness as I begin the next phase of my mission. After all, none of this would have been possible without you. Those Vikings of yours fought like devils that day in the cave. Do you even remember their faces? I do. The loyalty of Thor's men and the glee with which they defended him inspired Gore, and he realized two things, that mortals are more afraid of a godless world than they are of death, and that he couldn't do his work alone. In the cave that day, Thor did something that Gore hadn't witnessed in 2,000 years of slaughter. He did something useful. With the swing of his axe, he cleaved Gore's arm off. That was like... That's a, like a rad panel, too. Yeah, it is. So great. Yeah. <laughs> In the present, the berserkers hold Thor while Gore monologues. He kills the last of the Kronix gods while Thor struggles to free himself. Taking the Elder God's heart in hand, Gore once again descends the steps into the time pool to explore new horizons of deicide. Thor dives after him. Now we find ourselves back in Asgard 2,000 years later where present Thor and future Thor face one another. And we see the question again, where is the butcher of the gods? It's a pretty heavy series, but there is this moment of levity where present (laughs) Thor mistakes future Thor for Odin, uh, which to be fair, he does now sport a beard and an eye patch. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's totally, totally reasonable. It's fantastic. Uh, Two Mjolnirs now swing, hammering at the berserkers that surround the Thors. But even as they hammer away, the berserkers begin to dissolve. Present Thor repeats the question he asked earlier, demanding to know where the God Butcher is. And future Thor tells him, God Butcher? There hasn't been a God Butcher here for 900 years. (laughs) Ooh. I'm kidding, but not really. (laughs) I mean, that's what happens. (laughs) He does tell him, uh, you're even dumber than I remember, aren't you? Uh, You appeared in the exact same spot he did, but the God Butcher hasn't been there for 900 years, and he's (laughs) been busy. The dissipated berserkers are inky streaks across the sky as they stream back to Gore to reconnect with him as Gore waits and watches off-planet. They rejoin him, becoming once again part of the whole. We see Gore only in silhouette now, but it's clear that he's armored. 
I said I would save you for last, Gore says to the curve of the planet Asgard below him. And that day is imminent. The first day of a new age of freedom. We end with Gore believing that all his dreams are about to come true. And that's the arc. <laughs> that's not the arc. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's, it. that's, <laughs> that's it. The end. It's very sad. Uh, it obviously does continue in God Bomb. Um, and it's yeah, concluded it's, there. It's just funny. Like that is, that is technically the end of this like five issue run. Yeah. Right. And it is deci- like it is like its own discrete arc. Yeah, for right. sure. You're right. It within is. within a larger arc, but so general thoughts and takeaways. I think it's interesting about how, like, I put nihilism and sadness on here. Yeah. Um, but like the the gods live so long that they just lose their memories. That's yeah. just dark and tragic, honestly. It's it's I think the most interesting take on immor- immortality, right? Yeah, like I've. I've seen it before Mm -hmm. but it's an interesting version of it where it's it's not everything you would think it'd be right like you can't there's Mm -hmm. no way you can keep all of it so yeah even the memories or even the minds of gods aren't like infinite yeah Mm -hmm. and it yeah it's i mean a big chunk of this arc too is like nihilistic is a very good word for it but also just like uh, aggressively atheistic, I guess. Yeah. So, which is, I mean, it's it's definitely really interesting to read in a comic, not something I'd ever really encountered. Um, yeah. And I think connected to that is this idea that like the, the importance of mm-hmm. humanity, right? Um, I guess I'm just thinking about like when Gore asks Thor if he even remembers the faces of the men who were so willing to die to save him. And Gore says, well, I do like, I remember Mm. their faces. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's touched against, I think it was an issue three where he was talking, he goes through this thing and he's talking about all the faces he can't remember. Yes. Like the maiden's first kiss and all this stuff. Yeah. The people Uh, that he's fought, that a lot of that has slipped from his mind, even at that Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. But I think he probably does actually remember the faces of those people in the cave with him because it's so burned in. Yeah. Yeah. I also found it interesting that Gore is like, he has a, like a code sort of, um, cause he basically pleads with the, the guys going to save Thor, like stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't want to kill them. He yeah. just wants to kill the gods. Just yeah. like gods. he is actually trying to save humanity, mm-hmm. save mortals, save everyone. Um, well, and I think that's the best villains, right? Are the ones that you feel like actually have a point. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and he does, he have a point as awful as he is. Like he has a point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, I think we'll come back to in our future discussions, like, yeah, for sure about the usefulness of gods or whatever, but Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely interesting that he has his own, his own code that he sticks by. But also they're kind uh, Aaron is careful also to make you see that, I mean, you do still like Thor, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And Gore goes so far overboard oh, that you right. can't, yeah. you can't yeah, ever you're actually not like, like on Gore's side. Yeah. yeah. You're never there. 
You can you can be kind of like, well, I mean, maybe as a part of, oh, whoa, stop. Yeah, it's right. hard to actively pull for someone whose main method of dispatching someone is drawn out torture. Yeah. yeah. And massive slaughter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely be prepared for uh, some gore if you jump into this series. Hence. And not, not <laughs> G-O-R-E, not G-O-R-R. Some gore from gore. <laughs> yes. In Thor. In Thor. <laughs> all very clear i also really like um just and i mean okay so there's a lot of one of the things marvel really likes to do is play with like the end of time and the far distant distant future and it's always everything is like broken down um Mm -hmm. it's very like not heat death the universe but very like everything's so far apart that there are no stars and um which is accurate yeah it is. As far as we understand. As far it. as we understand physics. Um, and, the, I mean, there's in this, there's in the Avengers run by uh, Hickman. There is this in Ragnarok. They hit this in Secret Wars. They hit this in, um, what else? Several other ones. Where at the end of time, um, just anything with Kang, really, like future Kang, not Conqueror Kang. Um, just at the end of time, like the person that's, there's always like one person there. And it's just, I don't know, it's very, like, does anything matter? Yeah. When the the time frame is, like, that broad. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It's hard to think. But they also like playing with the idea of just, like, one last person at the end of time. Right. Solitary yeah. and so sad. <laughs> Unless it's Franklin Richards, and then they're hanging out with Groot. But that's a whole other <laughs> whole other arc. But what do you guys think overall of this of this five-issue run that we've done? I liked it. It's yeah. it's honestly considerably dark darker than I was expecting, but I told yeah. you guys it was dark. I said, Hey, it's dark. Yeah, I know. You said that, but I I've read other stuff, like mm-hmm. other Thor stuff from Jason Aaron, and I still was not expecting this to be as dark <laughs> as it was. Like I was like, yeah. yeah, it'll be dark. That's fine. And then I read it and I was like, Oof, <laughs> this is yeah. not the same. It has to be, though. Like, it really has to establish itself as something dark and to be taken seriously um, to make the stakes as high as they, they yeah, need to be. Yeah, to make be. the stakes yeah. feel real. Mm-hmm. And I think especially because Thor is a character who is often comic relief. Yeah. That makes makes the darkness feel all the more uh, poignant and noticeable, I For think. Sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. The kind of humor that I usually associate with Thor is not here yeah Yeah. or like very rarely here (laughs) there's like one moment or like two where you're yeah Yeah. there's a couple maybe a couple in an it per issue yeah but but then there are some issues that like don't have any and it's just just torture and it's rarely thor that's the funny one it's like the librarian or shadrach or that's true i didn't notice that but i mean you have to think so most of the time when thor is played as like the like kind of the the joke character, he's being contrasted by like our very real like straight man heroes like right, Cap right. and Iron Man. Right, right. He's a foil to humanity, mm-hmm. human characters, and he's just he's so he's a god. He's so different from them that it's it's humorous. Yeah, that fish out of water story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But here it's that's not present because they're all gods and they're all sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely we've definitely already talked about the art and the scope but oh my gosh just want to so good it's so good 
And so different. I mean, just in the couple of different things we've, issues that we've done. Uh, I mean, for Cap, I went back and read some stuff from like the 1940s when I was doing research. Mm-hmm. Um, so just holding in my mind like that art style versus the style that we get from Epting. And Captain and then, America. Yeah, and the Captain America run that we did. And then this is just worlds apart, yeah. <laughs> honestly. Uh, not that Epting is bad, but it's just a very different art style. And this is much more... A little less concerned, I feel like, with realism, which I feel like Epting's trying yeah. to create a comic that, like, a look that takes itself seriously. Which, I mean, also fits the different books, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Captain America's more, definitely more grounded yes. in, well, he never leaves Earth in the, in the <laughs> issues that we read. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Thor, you know, visited, like, six different worlds in six pages and at, at one point in this. Thousands of years. Yeah. Hmm. Across his time. So the artist for this is also the artist for Secret Wars. So Asad Ribic, um, he does Secret Wars and a lot of the Hickman Avengers run, and he just gets better. Like, That's honestly, awesome. the art is... I'm trying to find a good good spread for you guys from Secret Wars, but it's it's just great. And it, it also just seems like a really good match of the epicness of the story with the art, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I love when those things line up like that. Um, on a slightly different note it, we actually might save this for a next cold open you tell me what you guys think but okay do you think that they could ever adapt this storyline for the mcu well they are that's what the next that's what love and thunder is partially about it's going to be like in the same way that world war hulk was adapted or planet hulk was adapted for ragnarok like and it's like just bits and pieces with like gladiator just Hulk pulling and like Sakaar a and, do you think they could yeah. do gore though are they doing gore? They, yeah christian bale is playing gore what mm-hmm. he looks insane in the uh in the costume there's the art i'm talking about from secret wars like it just he just gets yeah, better that's oh really my god good. it's so good so anyway um yeah they are so love and thunder is going to be about wow. jane foster thor as well as Thor, Thor, and Gore the God Butcher somehow, and the Asgardian or the Guardians of the Galaxy are there too, for some reason. I think they're gonna have to tame it down a lot. Oh, there's no way oh, that Disney yeah. would let them get away with this, right? No. Yeah, I mean, I think to answer Seth's question, no, they're not adopting this. this. Yeah, <laughs> they're, like, they're gonna be. Some, they're taking they're inspiration. Gonna, yes. Yeah. Inspired by maybe. Let me find. I'll find a but, picture. I imagine they're also not going to have uh, spend as much time on the incredibly depressing cancer subplot of the Jane Foster storyline. Yeah, too. right. Yeah. I was unaware of that one. Yeah. Yeah. When Jane, um, spoiler alert, I guess, <laughs> but uh, when Jane takes up the hammer, she has cancer. But every time she takes up Mjolnir, it like purges the chemo from her body, so yeah. she's killing herself by oh, taking by up the hammer. It. Yeah, she's like revitalized oh. when she wields it, but as soon as she puts it down, she goes back to worse than she was before. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's real happy. It's real happy. <laughs> yeah. That also starts in um, this series. 
So, like, we find out Jane has cancer in spoilers for a series coming up that we may not do. But in um, the Malaketh stuff, like, that takes place after this run. Um, that's when we find out for the first time that Jane does have cancer. And Thor's like, oh, well, that's fine. I know lots of gods. I'll get one to fix you. And Jane essentially says, no, that's not how humans do it. And she's hmm. just she's just too too awesome. Too Jane. But, yeah. That's a whole interesting storyline that I'm very excited for us to cover. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. That was my introduction to Jason Aaron. And really how I got into reading Marvel Comics was the Jane Foster as core storyline. Nice. So it's a lot really less good. it's a lot less dark than this. It is, but also incredible art. Oh yeah. Uh Russell Lauderman is amazing. It's fantastic. It's beautiful to read. Can't wait to get there. Yeah. <laughs> I found a picture of Christian Bale, but it's so blurry that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother showing you guys. Okay. We'll see it eventually. Yeah. But it looks like they're trying to go like he doesn't have like the the what I don't know what you call them. They're not antenna, but they're like the things hanging off his head. Almost like tentacles. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. The tw- the Twi'lek things that he's got going yeah. on. And is he wearing more than just a cloak he's, and like a tiny? Yeah, he's like it's wearing. It's not even full. It's underwear. like a g-string a made of slime, like, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, a, g-string of. It's slime. not even a g-string. What's it called? Uh, where it comes up from the bottom, a c-string. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so Because it's like it's not connected on the sides. It's just like just uh, wrapping uh, his junk in goo. Um, that's <laughs> what it's doing. Uh. He's like Dr. Manhattan in that he could make clothes, but he's not gonna. So, Why would you need to? Why would you need to? When you're killing gods, you need to be in the nude. Um, but yeah, Christian Bale is not naked. He's wearing lots and lots of robes, and I assume they're going to do quite a bit of CGI to his face. Because um, the yeah. way the... It looks like he has the little dots all over his face. So it Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm pretty excited. That's When does Love and Thunder come out? Next year, twenty twenty-two. Okay, in the spring, things have gotten shifted around, so I can't always keep straight what's yeah. coming out yeah, when. It's all moving. But also, what is time? So <laughs> we're in pandemic time, which means that time has no meaning. Yeah. Apparently, uh, our gods of time have also all been butchered. <laughs> oh wow, that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> it does. Right? Here I was thinking someone just like let loose on the simulation, but maybe our gods just died. Maybe our pa- maybe we need to go up to our sky pantheon and figure out what's going on. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> assuming that time does continue, uh, we will continue Jason Aaron's Thor run. And for our next episode, we'll be reading issues number six through 11. You can find us on Instagram at Emma... You can find us on Instagram at Amateurs Assemble Pod, on Twitter at The Assemble Pod, and you can send in questions and comments to amateursassemblepod at gmail.com. Please do that. We want to hear from you. Send us messages on Twitter or the email or somewhere. Hit us up. So we also have other shows on the network. Uh, we are a part of the Black Mesa Radio Network. So we have Black Mesa Radio, which episode 50 will be coming out here in a week or so. Um, It took us 
however many years it's been since 2013. What is that? Eight years. Eight years to get there, but we're we just hit episode 50. And then Moms Who Wine will be recording, I think, next week. And so their episode will be up in two weeks. So you can find all our shows as well as the entire back catalog of Black Mesa Radio at blackmesaradio.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere where you aggregate your podcasts from. Wherever they're sold, you can get them for free. That's how it works. Sold for free. Wherever they're sold for free. Any uh, final words, last thoughts? He's going to say it. We know he's going to say it. Just say it. Say what? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, cool. I'll just cut it off then. All right. Disperse. <laughs>